Welcome to the latest edition of Let Me Tell You Something's Meltzer Five Star Project, where myself, Lorcan Mullen, and your other co-host, Simon Cross, discuss a match that Dave Meltzer of the Wrestling Observer has rated five stars or higher. And we are in that or higher category, are we not today, Simon? We are, and whole extra star of quality. A six-star caliber match between whom... Simon, whom is this between this six-star match? I mean, they're no strangers to this list, especially in this specific combination. It is a IWGP World Heavyweight title match. Yes, it is the World Heavyweight title. You got it right at last. Aye. Between the challenger, Shingo Takagi, and the champion, Will Ospreay, the Commonwealth Kingpin and the head of the United Empire. Fourth match between these two. Fourth singles match ever. Also the fourth match to gain a five-star or higher rating. First time it's not in a tournament environment. So their previous encounters that we will have episodes available in our archives for you to listen to were the 2019 Best of the Super Juniors, that was the first encounter between the two. Got match of the year for 2019 in the Wrestling Observer. And Dave Meltzer rated that five and three quarters. Then in 2020, they had a match of the G1 Climax. The only match so far in their three matches up to this point that Takagi won. And that was a mere five stars, Simon. Only perfect. Might as well gouge our eyes out. <laughs> And then they followed it up this year, only a couple of months ago, with a five-and-a-half-star match in the New Japan Cup final, which was won by Osprey, which led to him earning his title shot at the IWGP World Heavyweight title, winning it, not in a five-star encounter, must be noted, four-and-three-quarter stars, because at this point in time, New Japan is not as highly rated as it used to be. It's in a weird, weird place. It seems to have gone beyond its peak. Seems like its peak might have been Naito winning the IWGP Heavyweight Championship on night two of the Tokyo Mm. Dome. And through a combination of things out of their control and booking decisions very much in their control, they've made... And an in-ring reliance on a formula and especially a long match time that a lot of fans have started to be turned off by. And there's some of those elements within this match. This match goes 45 minutes long. We actually had to postpone it by a day because one of us started watching it, not realising that was going to be the case. And our already late recording time is going to have to be pushed so far back. I didn't have enough time to do my errands for the rest of the night. My bad. My bad. (laughs) I appreciated it, though, actually, in hindsight, because I did need a day to marinate in this film, uh, this match, sorry, a bit more. I, I'm glad I, like, had a day of reflection, too. And, you know what, it is entirely my fault for not realising that a uh, New Japan title match wouldn't You should go. have assumed it, really. I, I should have. That's on things. me. That is really on me. To talk about the length, I think it was slightly too long, this match. 
I'm, I was wondering about that. I don't have as much of a problem about it because I think the length of the match factored into the story that they were telling. Because it also works insofar as this is the first time they're fighting for a championship. They're not fighting for the right to get to a championship. They're fighting for the championship itself. So it's of a higher importance to both of them. And they've built Shingo up with like a lot of pedigree as well. They mentioned right at the start, he beats, he's beaten four New Japan Cup winners to win <clears throat> this cup, to get this chance. Well, he didn't win the cup, he was the runner-up. Ah, sorry, I do apologise. Well, that's the thing. The spectre of Okada looms over this match as well. Mm. As he has throughout the whole thing. It's like when Osprey won the championship, the first thing he did was call out Okada to challenge him for the first title match. And then Takagi comes into the ring, grabs the mic off of Okada, says, excuse me, get to the back of the line, mate. I'm the one that was the runner-up in the tournament. I beat you in the first round. If anyone's getting a shot, it's me. And then it's a case of we'll fight each other, the winner will face Okada. And what I love about it is that Okada didn't say a single word in that whole angle. He just was like, yep, fine. You guys sorted out amongst yourself because it's pretty obvious that you're both pretty obsessed with me. (laughs) I mean, Osprey is, like, obsessed with me. And the spectre of it looms. Oh, that, that, that was that name of that Mariah Carey song, which was apparently a nod and a wink to Eminem. Yeah, I don't know. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know what the song's called. Yeah. We are, we've referenced Mariah Carey on more than one occasion in recent episodes. <laughs> I don't know what that says about us. So Okada's spectre looms over this match, and this is going to be my overriding thesis. This feels like... The closest thing we've had to the golden two-year reign of Okada, a match for the championship along the line of those matches, and Okada isn't even in the match. And that's led me to the conclusion that Osprey's character is essentially the evil Mirror Universe version of Okada, just as I've said Jay White is essentially the evil Mirror Universe version of Tanahashi, Mm. in that he's so physically gifted naturally better than anyone else at what he can do physically in the ring in ways that make your jaw drop. Oh, His is more spectacular. Okada makes makes your jaw drop because, partly because he makes the fact that he makes your jaw drop at a drop kick is enough to make your jaw drop a second time. Mm. Whereas with Osprey, even in this match, and we've been saying in the past year or so, he's toned down his high flying. But then when he does those moments, like when he gets hit with a lariat by Shingo Takagi and just flips around and lands <laughs> on his feet and keeps moving. You can't quite comprehend what you've just seen. It takes you a while. No. But he's a man of such incredible physical gifts and also graced with a size advantage. Mm. that He's agile, but he has the size of a heavyweight. And that was the same with Okada, that, he was, that he's six foot three or so. But he can fly like junior heavyweights if he wanted to. But he doesn't have to just rely on that either. He's got every tool in the in the bag. Yeah. And Osprey now seems to have those as well at this point. And even to the point that he dominates the early portion of the match and he dictates the pace and everyone has to fight from underneath to stay with him. And that was what was so often the case with Okada matches and it's the story of this match. There's a cagey start, but then eventually Osprey starts to dominate and then Takagi just has to throw everything at Osprey to stay in it. 
with the best of the Super Juniors match, it was it seemed to be Osprey that was the underdog. But as we've been saying over the course of these matches, the status change has been so much that Oka- Osprey essentially is operating on the notion that he is the ace now, and that everyone else has to bring themselves up to his level. And that's what Takagi's trying to do at this point. I would take a slightly different approach to the very start of that, because the first time they spilled to the outside, Shingo is, like, chucking him from pillar to post. Yeah. And it's, like, Shingo getting, like, sidetracked or taking his foot off the gas that causes uh, Osprey to get an advantage rather than Osprey taking an advantage. So maybe a little bit different there. But after that, certainly, it's... It doesn't have to be like a beat-for-beat, hold-for-hold, but there has to be enough echoes of it for you to recognise it. And so it seems to me that now the story will be that that Osprey's to Okada as Okada was to Tanahashi. He is the young pretender, but even more mirroring of Okada than than Okada mirrored Tanahashi. Because it's more about physical gifts, really. And, And now maybe Okada's facing the first person that's as physically or more physically gifted than he is. And younger. Right? And younger, yeah. Yeah. You forget how young Okada is, it's terrifying. The, the story is that he's the pad one to the Master Jedi that is Okada. Hold on, this op- whole operation was your idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that tag team match against the Vest of Gungans, or whatever it is. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a deep cut I've managed to pull out. Yeah. I am not a Star Wars fan, but I... I, the thing is, I was, all my friends are Star Wars fans. Essentially, I'm the outlier with the wrestling. And so it's like they know stuff about wrestling that they shouldn't know for their level of fandom of wrestling. And I know stuff about re- Star Wars that mm. should not match with my level of interest in Star Wars. So just cultural osmosis working the way that it does. So when we were discussing Takagi, we were saying... I mean, you were saying you saw him as a future like Tokyo Dome headliner, heavyweight champion, and I was less convinced. At that point, though, that was before the unifying of the titles took place. I think that Takagi has now brought himself up to that level of consideration that wasn't necessarily there by management. But I also can see him still being seen as the good hand, like Ishii, that can have the first title defense for the new champ that warms them up for the big title defense against the main guy, that he can lose to most people believably, and it will help them and not hurt them, but he can believably beat anyone, and it wouldn't hurt their opponents either. Like, Ishii can get a win over Okada, and it doesn't damage mm. Okada. But Ishii can similarly then lose to Yoshitatsu if the right situation happens, and it doesn't damage him irrevocably, but it helps Tatsu. Yeah. Well, to go to your earlier point uh, regarding like where Shingo's peak in New Japan could be, the booking in New Japan has got a bit... What's the word? Looser? Yeah, looser. Looser is what I'm looking for. Thank you. Well, they're having ladder matches for Iron Fingers. Yeah. Are we calling this Gato's midlife crisis? He's clearly going through some things. But there's also a lot of distaste to the fact that he's put he's putting everything on Osprey. And there's, for his behaviours, in the UK, and it's seen as he's not necessarily reached a level of punishment or contrition that he should have faced. I'll be very curious to see what response he gets when he first comes out for Rev Pro with that championship belt. There's been having a hell of a publicity tour in recent weeks yeah. with the uh, World Heavyweight title. Well, Brit Rest, on the whole, is when it's allowed to 
resume is going to be in a very, very strange place to, due to a whole myriad of reasons. Who does Osprey drop the titles to? And actually, it wouldn't be a bad shout to have him go to York Hall and, and they fly in Takagi and Takagi gets one of his wins back, but it's for the Rev Pro title. Yeah. That'd be a way of getting it off Osprey without having to send it to someone in the Rev Pro roster who's not really of a stature <laughs> to be beating the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is a way around that. I think that's one of New Japan's booking problems as well. It's one of the guys they really wanted to back. They couldn't get into Japan. I mean, it's not the same because he was never going to be a full-time member, but obviously John Moxley not being able to do as much with the US title as they wanted has hamstrung what their original plan was for sure. But let's but let's, let's let's stick to what we were what we should be talking about, which is Osprey and and Takagi. This match, I think. It works that it's the longest match, and it works that it's the most physical match, more taxing match, because it's for the highest stakes that they've had so far. Now, obviously, we're into the infancy of Osprey as, like, this kind of, like, wrestler. Mm. You know, this heel kind of wrestler. And I really, what I really enjoyed in this match is his heel style. Like, it's not like chicken shit cowardly except it is his begging off of shingo is brilliant like his absolute shock uh when shingo just won't die that's towards the end isn't it when he's forearming takagi and takagi but even though he's the one inflicting forearms he's the one being backed into the ropes yes yeah, he's he's like terrified utterly terrified and another thing like which leads to the style and why the match flows better even though it's longer is because there's a lot less spectacular flippy stuff yes from will now he toned it down compared to the new japan cup final as well mm. i was saying mm. that that one threw me that there was so much of osprey in the match that seemed baby ish and yeah as you're saying he's less spectacular here he's more the flat track bully but when you say his heelish tendencies much like okada when he was sort of not a face because he was against tanahashi but he was not as heelish the reason he wasn't as heelish is because he wouldn't cheat in matches. Yeah, Osprey doesn't really cheat here outside of getting the tables involved, but they both get through do that, and it's ultimately Osprey that goes through the table and has to show his resilience, which is again kind of a babyface spot as well hmm. to get in at the nineteen counts. Yeah, and when I mentioned Jingo getting distracted earlier, the United Empire didn't do much to distract him apart from just like stand in a corner and maybe like take a step closer they didn't like gr- like do the old ankle grab or you know get on the apron it, it that was shingo's sort of uh shortcoming there yeah these aren't bullet club shenanigans this isn't heel period los ingobernables shenanigans where naito won the title for the first time thanks to sonada's direct interference in the match Osprey hasn't had that except when B Priestley caused the distraction for him to win the G1 Climax match against Okada and announce his heel turn. Yes. And his, his start of the United Empire with the great Okan. The spectre of Okada is there because he hits a Rainmaker as well. That is Osprey's obsession. Osprey wants to be as dominant as Okada. I wouldn't be surprised if. And it might even be this title reign. We know how we say, oh, they always book the first title reign to only go one or two defences, and then that's building them up to the big one. After watching this match, I was thinking, are they about to have Osprey 
get the surprise win over Okada, and then go on a two-year run with that belt, and have the main event of whatever Tokyo Dome show would need to be, where Osprey would match Okada's number of defenses, be his second time challenging Okada. Mm. That seems like a logical storyline point to go with him. I could see that being told. You can't book that far in advance, though, for fear of yeah. what might happen. You know, and when there'll be a pandemic that will put a guy back <laughs> on all the things that you know. I was going to say, if the last 12 to 18 months has told us anything, it's that nothing is guaranteed. Well, I mean, the COVID outbreak meant that Okada wasn't able to come out for a post-match segment here. Yeah. There's no guarantee that the event that they planned to have the match go on at, which was the next Tokyo Dome show, was going to happen. So it might be that it's actually Dominion that they face each other at this <clears> point. <throat> The thing that you remember most about the uh, first encounter, I think, that we always refer back to is that incredible fast exchange of reverses and counters and dodges. Yeah. And in the opening to this match, there's no fast exchange. There's like one or two, and they know each other too well that it's really cagey to begin with, Mm. which again plays up to the slow pace and works with the sense that the reason it's going longer is they know each other more and they're wary of making the mistakes. And then when they do have a fast-paced exchange in the early going they're actually hitting each other with pretty much everything. <laughs> like, it's not really ducks. It's they're being hit, but they keep going. Yeah. Yeah, mid-match, sorry. It was more, that was my note. It's like the intricate mid-match sequence is not them dodging each other like er, old early match sequences. They are reversing moves, but they're often hitting moves in the exchange, and it ends with Takagi hitting the sliding lariats. And so they're still doing those intricate mo- moves, but they're actually hitting stuff. Shingo is being built up more and more. I mean, he's not at Abushi levels of just, like, glassy-eyed, I will kill you. Um, but in terms of his, like, I want to say indomitable spirit, like, that is getting, like, showcased more and more and more. Like, some of the stuff he takes, and then he's just like, I'm still here. I'm still going, like, I want the, uh, I'm not quite Ishii, because like, Ishii can go either way. Like, he's got that fluidity. And maybe that's... Um, without wanting to put words in your mouth, maybe that's where the comparison comes from. But he's got this ability to like just walk through stuff and just look so cool in like coming back. You believe it's because of who he is as a person, and it's not unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, he comes across as an utter powerhouse badass who is just an utter force in the ring, and there's no. Even if he's not the tallest guy in the world, there is no backing down. There's no sense that he's at a disadvantage to someone who's much taller than him. He's taller than Ishii. Most people are. And he's more agile than Ishii is. Yeah. So he's got more strings to his bow, really, than Ishii does. That's the spot that they see him in. But now that there are fewer titles in the division... And after he dropped the never open weight title and doesn't seem to want to go, you know, instead of him going towards that with Tanahashi, he instead is now going for the world heavyweight title and is reaching the finals of the New Japan Cup. Yeah. So it seems like there was, you know, the implication at that point would have been that he's above the never open weight title, but now the never open weight title has increased in stature and was being fought between Jay White and Tanahashi, and now Jay White has it and declares that he's the true belt collector. So where that's going, um... we don't know yet. Oh, and there's Bullet Club links there as well. To the match itself again. There's there's some art limb work with the arm. And that, that comes back without it being the... So Osprey targets the arm, but it then doesn't become like a Tanahashi match where he's everything's about the arm from then on in. But it does come in as a factor later on when Takagi hits a pumping bomber 
is he hits it with his left arm and that screws him up for a while and he has to sell it for for a bit after that. And so it's funny, you know, we were saying about how much the New Japan main event is like this collision of New Japan hard impact, more martial arts influenced moves of strikes, but also a lot more the All Japan Kings Road epic style. And I was thinking about that with this match. The when there is the table spot that happens it doesn't feel like it defines the flow of the match as much as, say, when we'd watch a, an All Japan King's Road match and a big move happens on the apron. Essentially, that dominates the dynamics of the match going forward. Like, I honestly was thinking of what after Osprey took the, the bump through the table, I couldn't quite recall how he'd recovered enough to be back in it a few minutes later. It was like... Almost like I blanked out or I'd looked at my phone for too long. Ah, I have a theory for that. The Great Okan is one of the world's best tarot waivers in the world. I see. <laughs> it's just how frantic he flapped it. Like he was like a southern woman trying to like <laughs> resuscitate another southern woman at the turn of the century. Oh, I do declare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> Good Lord, Miss Asprey. You must be fully prepared in time for the cotillion ball. <laughs> Women voters? Women voters. To understand what that's a reference to, please listen to episode three of series one of Best of Worst of British on the buses. Oh, that is cross promotion to a T. It goes into your typical end of run sequence. And one thing I did notice as well was there weren't actually that many kickouts. There weren't many epic late kickouts. There was one off of. Uh, when Takagi hits the last of the dragon again in the ring after the table spots. Osprey's almost vertical when he's been pinned, so he really just sort of shifts his weight to the right and collapses out of the pin more than anything. Oh, there's a perfect moment with that, and I've got to tip my hat to Red Shoes. Red Shoes is on peak form in this match. There are two prime Red Shoes moments. One's uh, Shingo's draped arm underneath the bottom rope and how Red Shoes emphasises that he catches it just in time. And like Will's actually going, I've won, I've... you can actually hear him go, I've won, I've won, and actually put his wrist out to Red Shoes for him to raise. And Red Shoes is going, bottom rope, bottom rope. That's a beautiful moment. And when they start trading headbutts, Red Shoes' facial expression is amazing. Yeah, I don't like that. I hate unprotected headbutts. Oh, yeah, yeah. They are, and he yeah, even yeah. does the... He sort of does a slightly less crazy version of the Shibata headbutt. Yeah, the moment I first saw them trading headbutts, my mind flashed Shibata. I don't know if that's purely because it's a New Japan match or just obviously everything we know. But Red Shoes, him and Bryce Remsburg are the best, two best refs for selling a wrestler's offense. Yeah. So yeah, I think this match does play off the exhaustion towards the end and that they're barely staying up it's almost like they don't have the energy within them to hit the final move that will pin the other one almost i love when oh and we do get a double reverse (laughs) as you think of you at the moment i saw it i'm like he's gonna mention this straight off the bat i'm amazed this took this long for you but what i did like after osprey took takagi's reverse rana because of the way that the move works he lands on his feet and he essentially falls forward into an into a forearm. So it's almost like their equivalent of the old pop-up no-sell from the All Japan matches. Another thing I loved was that he went for the hidden blade and Takagi was able to duck it. 
to show that Takagi knows Osprey so well at this point that he knows when he's going to get hit without seeing Osprey. He can coming. smell it, yeah. <laughs> and so when Osprey does finally put him away with the Chelsea Grim forearm, it's just because he's hurled his whole body at him, and it's like everything inside of him has got has got it. And I do like also before then when Takagi's hitting him with lariats, that's knocking. Osprey to his knees, but also knocking Takagi to his knees because it's hurts. It's expending as much energy from him. Mm. Is he using his damaged arm for those lariats? Yeah, yeah. As well. I do love also when he levels him with the head button, Osprey's collapsing down and he just holds onto his hand to try and keep him up. But he still doesn't have enough energy within him to do anything beyond hold his hand. You know, let's just, let's just enjoy this moment, Will. You and me. You could almost say it was good wrist control. Well, it wasn't the wrist, it was the hand. Ah. Maintains hand control. Hand control. Not quite as good as Okada's wrist control. They could have suggested, look, I'm fed up of hurting our own bodies. How about we just have a thumb war to decide who wins this? And then at the end, the story of it was, whoever hit their big move, Osprey hits the Stormbreaker and therefore Osprey wins. We, we skipped over Shingo's cutter. Shingo hits a cutter. Yes, yes, that was good as well. That was a classic bit of they know each other so well they can start to do each other's moves. It's like John Cena's RKO on Randy Orton in that. Was it a Royal Rumble match? No, in, in, at the Royal Rumble event, yeah. The, the, those matches don't really deserve to be spoken of in the in the same realm as this match. Kevin Kelly calls it the greatest match he's ever called. Hmm... Hyperbole, come on. I mean, I'll guess. I'll, I'll ask you. Would you give this match five stars? <sighs> no, but it's a great indicator of this. Is this match has given me a lot more faith in Osprey as a heel champion? I'm now thinking that there's enough talent there in the roster, and he has enough talent that they could book him to a title reign every bit as epic as Okada's, and maybe that's what they're actually planning to do. Yeah, I, I have in my head that uh, matches I want to see uh, Osprey and Naito. Just, just want to see what the dynamic's like. Yes, that'll be a different one because that'll be someone trying to use their intelligence. And I'm wondering if they've even wrestled each other in singles. I don't think they've ever been drawn in the same G1 block with each other. You keep talking whilst I type that up. But it's interesting because we've talked obviously a couple of times about how New Japan's booking's a bit more... <sighs> out there and fluid but with Will Ospreay becoming a heel champion and this new faction there's the freshness is sort of coming from him because it's him that's had the big character change uh he's elevating hopefully as a, this is a good vehicle for Jeff Cobb and the great Okan but there's now protect there's growth that can come from this like if you make Cobb look more of a threat I mean They've not even done the whole cheating thing, as we mentioned earlier. They've got that avenue to go down. Well, I think they kind of define the philosophies of groups pretty early on. And I think they're saying the United Empire, at least when it Osprey, as far as Osprey is concerned, they will come out and support their guy, unlike yeah. Losinga Bernabeles. There's no Losinga Bernabeles guy out there for Takagi. And that's never the way for their matches. Yeah, they're, they're a collection of... In- <laughs> they're not a collection of individuals. They're a collection of loners. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Weird, creepy loners. Not creepy, but like Hiromu's odd. Evil was for a while. Yeah. Well, Sada might be creepy. He's too han- he's, he's handsome enough that he gets away with it for the most part. Yeah. Well, what was his name? Is it Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah, yeah. Ted Bundy was like handsome, Ted but Bundy, also yeah, very yeah. creepy. It's a bit harsh to call Sonata Ted Bundy-esque. <laughs> well, yeah, but... 
if there was a Japanese Zac Efron. So I wouldn't quite go five stars either. I think I'd probably go four and three quarters. I wonder if I'd have gone in cold, not knowing who the winner was and not knowing how long it was going to go for. Maybe I would have gone a bit. Maybe See, I, I, I didn't stars. confirm it, but the, the lack of internet blow up that I didn't stumble across pretty well. I, I knew who would was the winner going. And in. I still wish this was, you know, broken record. But if this had been in front of a baying crowd yelling and screaming for the whole time, maybe that would have also meant more. Yeah, but that's not in our control at the minute. No, and it's not, not in their control. control so well, none of this is in our control, really, other than our own opinions. But if people want to hear our opinions about anything other than this match, Simon, how can they do so with you? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm so known as Simon Cross Free. Free for the number of tables there would have been, there will be actually, uh, that Osprey goes through in their next encounter. My name's Dawkin Mullen, that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A-N, that are the end letters of Chelsea Grin. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, letterpox, if you put an at gmail.com at the end of them, that is my email address. Get in touch with the show at lmtyspod at gmail.com. LMTYSpod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. If you want to throw a few pennies our way to make it more affordable, that maybe we will be able to quit our measly 9 to 5 jobs and stay up at the right times to get to watch these matches live and therefore not be affected by awareness of spoilers and give a more re- more honest appraisal of what the match's true brilliance was, then go to our Patreon, patreon.com slash lmtyspod. As Simon's mentioned, I do have another podcast series called Best of Worst of British. And I also now, this week, will have released the first episode, it will have come out the day before this one was released, of 21st Film, where myself and a different guest each time Guests that are a bit more polite, don't talk over me, and laugh when someone's trying to make a an earnest plug of their works. Uh, no, I'm just laughing at your 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 addiction to to the podcast world. Interrupting me again, Simon. We shall have to start using a mute on your mic eventually, for I will own the podcasting land one day. But until that day, listen to 21st Film, Best of Worst British, or let me tell you something. Next week, if there are no more five-star matches for us to cover, we will be talking about a Shingo Takagi match again, but it'll be within the context of Match of the Week, and we're going back to 2007 to discuss my favourite match that I've seen live, part of a two-hander we recorded ahead of time, and that's Ring of Honor in Liverpool 2007 at the... Fifth year festival, I want to say, in Liverpool. And it's between the Briscoe Brothers defending their ROH Tag Team Championships against the Dragon Gate duo of Shingo Takagi and Naruki Doi. Mm. But there's nothing left to say at this point other than my name's Lorcan Mullen. And my name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something. Have a six-star time. Until the next time. <laughs>